Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 1, which is right after Luke, and I'm finding it myself. John, well, Luke is a long one. John 1, verses 40 and 42. This is the Word of God. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means rock or Peter. May be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Wonderful. Well, you are uh, here uh, this morning, and you get to be, hear the beginning of a brand new series that we uh, are calling Follow Me. It is the call that Jesus gives to discipleship. Discipleship is just another word, as we will see in this series, for being a believer in the gospel, being a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he calls us to believe in the gospel, he is simultaneously calling us to follow him. And the way that, uh, so so this idea of of the series is to make sense of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And the way that we are going to explore that question is we are going to go through the gospels and the New Testament and look at the major stories that involve Jesus' first disciple, the apostle Peter. We're going to see how Peter is made into a disciple and how he becomes a a fisher of men. The transformation that the gospel of Jesus Christ has on the individual Peter, I believe, will instruct us and illustrate for us and guide us into understanding what it means to be a disciple. And so as we go through the the gospels, we are going to sit on the shoulder of Peter and see how Jesus is there working to transform our lives. This very first passage is the first passage uh, that we see uh, Peter and Jesus together, and we see something very essential established right at the beginning for us. We see that discipleship begins with a relationship with Jesus. This is a fundamental Uh, axiom of the gospel, the discipleship, believing in the gospel, begins with a relationship with Jesus. That's what Peter begins with right here. Now, when we talk about a relationship, we talk about being known. I want to ask you an easy question to ask, kind of a challenging question to answer. And that is this, who knows you? Who 
knows you. There's a desire in every single one of us to be known, to have somebody in this world who says, I know you. I understand you. I know how you tick. I know what makes you you. We want to be known. But if you're like me, you are also terrified of the thought of being known. Do I really want you to know me? I want you to know some stuff about me. I want you to know my Facebook stuff. But do I want you to know my struggles? Do I want you to know my sins? Do I want you to know my failures? That's part of being known. Do you want to be known? Do you want to be known even to yourself? I mean, the older I get, the less I like some of my thoughts some of my feelings, and some of my memories. I don't want to know that about myself. I don't want to know that internal narrative, those opinions and feelings that seem to be so primal that I, I can't change them. You see, there's a fear in being known and a desire in being known. We want to be known. But what is the fear is this. Can we be known fully and loved fully? We hide all the unlovable stuff about us because we, we recognize in this world there is no relationship where I can be known fully and still loved fully because fundamentally there is a lot of stuff inside of me and inside of you that is just flat unlovable. And so we have this tension. How much of myself can be known and how much of myself can be loved? It is a deep need, but because of that tension, it is unsatisfied within human relationships. Even the closest person in your life, there's stuff that's hidden. As we think about discipleship, we are given this truth right from the beginning. The gospel is the only place we can find the relationship that we most need. Because in the gospel, we have a relationship with Jesus. And the relationship that we have with Jesus is that relationship that fully knows you and fully loves you. And that is what Peter shows us at this very beginning, at this very introduction. Our passage today shows us the sort of relationship that a disciple has with Jesus. What the relationship that we have the moment we become believers in the gospel. What sort of relationship is offered in Jesus? What sort of relationship does the disciple have with Jesus? So we go through this passage, we're going to see four attributes that, that the disciple has with Jesus, the relationship that he has with Jesus. I'm going to go through them quickly, and then we'll look at them in more detail. 
Jesus knows his disciples first, savingly. I'll explain what that word means as we get there. Second, he knows his disciples directly. Third, he knows his disciples fully. And fourth, he knows his disciples authoritatively. It is when we recognize that we have a relationship with Jesus that has these four attributes that we realize in the gospel we have that one and only place where we can be known fully and loved fully. Let us look at these in turn. First, we see that the relationship that Jesus has with his disciples is that he knows us savingly. Verses 40 and 41, let's read those again. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Let me give you a little bit of context for the passage that we are in. John chapter 1 first starts with the story that that Jesus is uh, God incarnate, that he comes from eternity past as, as the second member of the Trinity, and that he comes and dwells among us. And then we are introduced to John the Baptist, who was sent by God to be the forerunner, to be the announcer, the messenger of the Messiah's coming. And so John the Baptist has been preaching that the Messiah is coming, and he has two disciples. One of them is Andrew, and one is not named. And he points these two disciples to Jesus as he is walking by and says, there goes the Lamb of God. And these two disciples immediately leave following John the Baptist to follow Jesus. And that is where our passage picks up. One of these disciples that is, that is following Jesus is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. These two disciples begin to follow Jesus because they take the testimony of John the Baptist. He is the Lamb of God. And so they immediately begin to follow him. At this moment, as soon as Andrew meets Jesus, the next thing that he does is he calls his brother Simon to follow by telling him, we have found the Messiah. So Jesus, in these very couple, first couple of verses, is told to us as the Messiah and as the Lamb of God. These are two titles that are, are being used for Jesus. The, the word Messiah, which is translated Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, by the way. It's, it's a title that became so attached to who Jesus was that it became as much as his last name. We, when we say Jesus Christ, we are confessing that there is only one Christ. There is only one person who so completely fulfills the prophecies and the promises of God to have the title Christ that it's his name, right? But Jesus is, is called here at the very beginning, we have found the Messiah, now, it's, it's true at this very early stage of Jesus' ministry, the meaning of the word Messiah was not completely understood as it would be after the death and resurrection of Jesus. But fundamentally, it means that there is God's Savior has come. The, the anointed king and ruler that is sent by God has come. And so to confess Messiah, even at this very early stage, is to say, my hope is not in myself. It is in this one that God has sent. My needs are not fulfilled in myself. They are fulfilled in him. It is to say, I am in the need of deliverance. I am in the need of salvation. 
And this is the one who delivers. This is the one who saves. That is what is so important to understand. When Jesus is introduced to Peter, he is introduced as the Messiah. And so Peter comes knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now those words are still in utero for, for Peter. He has some misunderstanding of what those word, that word means that will be developed and, and corrected as the gospel goes along, but it can't be completely deleted. It's, it is Savior and Lord that Peter responds to the call to follow Jesus. Here is the key for all of us. Knowing Jesus as Messiah, as the Christ, as Savior and Lord, is foundational to following. You cannot be a follower of Jesus. You cannot be a believer in Jesus until you believe in him as Savior and Lord. That is the way that he presents himself, and that is the only way that you can come to him in relationship, is to know him as Savior and Lord. Andrew and Simon become disciples only because they know Jesus as Messiah, as Savior. And so, we cannot... We cannot miss this point. It seems, it seems so fundamental. Why would I spend time on it? Uh, at, at one point, several years ago, I was in an evangelistic conversation. And I asked a, 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 this person to tell me who they thought Jesus was. And their answer was, well, he's a, he's a great moral teacher. He's, he's, he, he, he was a person that, that spoke great truths, and, and he's a great person to to seek for wisdom, that's, that's who Jesus is. is. Is that understanding of Jesus the understanding of a disciple? No. Because there's nothing about need and dependence and hope placed in the idea that he is a teacher. The understanding of Jesus must be the understanding that he is the Christ. He is the Savior. And so we are not a disciple until we know him as Savior and Lord. And not just as Savior and Lord generically, but as Savior and Lord of me. Furthermore, you cannot know Jesus as Savior and Lord and not be a disciple. Some, some uh, have the idea that there's a, a possibility of just believing in Jesus, but not really living your life for Jesus. That category does not exist in the Gospels. The moment someone believes in Jesus in a saving way, they follow Jesus. Jesus becomes the leader, the Lord of their life. That is the paradigm that is established right here with Peter. And so when we say that the first aspect or first attribute of the relationship that a disciple has with Jesus is that he knows his disciples savingly. I have to put in front of you the question Jesus asks all people. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say 
that I am? Is your answer teacher? Is your answer historical figure? Is your answer you are the Christ? That is the answer that must be made from the heart for you to be a believer in Jesus, for you to be a disciple of Jesus, for him to know you savingly. And by that I mean in a way where you are saved from your sins. Second, we recognize a second attribute of the relationship Jesus has with his disciples. He knows his disciples directly. We look at verse 42, uh, the first part of it. We see that Andrew brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him. Now, this is such an amazing uh, short passage, but it has so much content in it. Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus. And when does he do that? Look look up at at verse uh, 41. Verse 41 says, He first found his own brother Simon. That is when Andrew came, uh, came to Peter to say, We have found the Messiah. It is the first thing Andrew does after he becomes a disciple. And it's, it's, like, it's like your first breath of new life. The first thing that a, 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 a crying baby does is cry for mom. The first thing Andrew does is cry out, I have found the Messiah. You see, the relationship is immediate and direct. You find the Messiah and you know him savingly. The response and reaction to that is, I go and I witness about him. I share him with those who I know. So witnessing is shown right here to be a fundamental uh, aspect of being a disciple of Jesus. Peter himself will say in his first epistle that, that these words, 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, for Peter, the the understanding of becoming a disciple is to, at the same moment, become a witness, become an evangelist of Jesus. My life's purpose is now to proclaim the excellencies of him who called me savingly out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is basic. Now that's fine and, and, and that's, that's good, but we get a bit nervous when we're, we're told that the fundamental uh, uh, work of a, of a disciple is to be a witness of Christ. So, so the question is how? How do we participate in, in evangelism? I'm not going to give you the, the complete rundown of, of evangelism, but I would say that Andrew presents a, a pretty good way of doing it. He basically goes to someone he knows And he says, come and see, I have found the Messiah. If you look down at verse 46, the disciple Philip says to his friend, come and see. Invite those who don't know Jesus savingly to come and see. Come and see where? 
you can bring them to church. I think, I think this is a great opportunity to, to take a friend or a neighbor, somebody that you're in a relationship with, and invite them to church. This is the place where you can be confident that if they come and they listen, they will hear the gospel. This is my promise to you, beloved. I will always preach the gospel. If you bring someone, if you invite someone, I will preach the gospel. You don't have to wonder, is this week going to be a week on uh, tithing? Or is this going to be a week on improving my marriage? Those topics may come up, but you will hear the gospel. And the person that you bring will hear the gospel. And if you desire that person to hear the gospel, I want to invite you. Bring them to church. Invite them. I also want to encourage you not to assume that all of your friends and neighbors and, and uh, coworkers don't need to hear the gospel. My previous church, I canvassed 400 houses that were around that church with, with the, uh, uh, just, just going around saying, I'd like to pray with you and just let you know that we have a church here that you can come to. There were very few Christians living around that church. I met pagans. I met people involved in witchcraft. I met people who just had no relationship with the church. The number of unchurched is huge. You're in contact with somebody who is not in church. And don't assume that when somebody says, uh, oh, I go to that church, that they really do. There's a lot of people in my neighborhood that say, oh, I go to this particular church, and I have never seen uh, that, that happen. So take the opportunity. Be an Andrew. Invite neighbors, friends, family. Come and see. Notice here. Because Andrew goes and gets Simon, Simon encounters Jesus directly. We have Simon who was somewhere. Andrew brings him, or said he is brought to him, and Jesus sees him. Jesus sees Peter. This is a direct connection. This is a personal, experiential connection. Direct knowing. There is no one between Jesus and Simon in this relationship. Right? It's not Simon and his wife to Jesus. It's not Simon and his parents to Jesus. It's not Simon and his church to Jesus. The description is Jesus and Simon are together. There's no in-between. The gospel is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no intermediaries. There are, are no acts and works that you do on the way to that relationship. It is immediate. There is nothing between it is personal. We can even say it is face-to-face. -face. Beloved, this is beautiful. We are saying from this text that if you are his disciple, he sees you. 
He knows you. He knows you directly. He is with you. And vice versa. You are with him. You know him directly. You see him. These are all things that are true with that, that, be, that, that trust in the gospel. You can know Jesus Christ personally. That is, that is the promise of the gospel. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. Nobody in between. You have a personal relationship with God because you have a personal relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. If you love God, he knows you. This is good news. This is wonderful news. In the Old Testament, there wasn't the path of a direct relationship. And so the promise of the new covenant that God gave to Jeremiah, the, the new covenant that is the gospel that Jesus brings, that we celebrate when we uh, read the words of institution at communion, says this, Jeremiah 31, 34, No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This personal relationship is not just for the people that go to seminary or for the people that read the most books or the people that pray the hardest. This relationship is offered to all, greatest and least. You can know the Lord directly. That is what we see here. Beloved, come and see. Come and know him. Are you holding Jesus with an intermediary? Are you keeping distance from Jesus? Come to him. Come and see. Third, the third attribute that we see in this passage of how the the relationship that we have with Jesus is that he knows his disciples fully. So Simon comes to Jesus And Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon, the son of John. Jesus knows us individually. He knows us personally. He looks at at Simon and says, you are Simon. More, he, he knows us fully. Okay, this is, this is, when Jesus says, you are Simon, the son of John, he, he is saying, I know you. He knows where he has come from when he says, you are the son of John. But we know that Jesus knows him more than that. Jesus knows who Simon is, where he has come from, past, present, and future. Jesus knows Simon. He's not not saying, you're a Simon. He knows what Simon he is speaking to. Jesus knows his disciples fully. Listen to to these words from the uh, 
letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 12. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Paul is talking about the promise of, of someday when we are in heaven, we will know fully. And how will, how will that be compared? That full knowledge will be like the knowledge that God has for us now, that Christ has for us now, as we are right now fully known. And so Peter is meeting this person who knows him fully. Now, who is Simon? Why do I want to spend all this time on a series on Simon? Because, my goodness, I am so thankful the Bible has a Simon in it. He is a very relatable person to me. He starts as a, as a fisherman. He's a very common profession. He's a commoner. He's not somebody who's a man of means or a man of influence. He's a man who grows up in Galilee, which is kind of the country bumpkin of the people that uh, uh, are, are in the knowledge and in the know. He's uneducated in any professional sense. He's impulsive and brash. And as we go through the stories of Peter, he, his foot is almost always in his mouth one way or another. He says it and then thinks. And he is a sinner. He denies Christ three times. The Christ that he walked with from the beginning. Three times he's going to deny Christ to a maidservant. Even after that, he's going to be faithless towards the gospel. In the book of Galatians, we're going to see that he completely violates the core teaching of the gospel in excluding people. Peter is a sinner and a mistake-ridden man who makes uh, brash comments and does foolish things. I think he's very relatable. I, I look at Peter and I am thankful that Peter is, is one of the people in the Bible because here's what it means when Jesus knows his disciples fully. This is the very beginning of Peter and Jesus' relationship. Jesus calls him, knowing him fully, knowing his future. Jesus says to Peter, you are Simon, the son of John, knowing that this one will deny him three times. This one who he's going to call the rock is going to become a scandal of the gospel. He knows that when he says, you are Simon, the son of John. And he still calls him. He still calls Simon, who is not only a sinner now, but will be a big sinner in the future. This is what the, the relationship with Jesus is. You are fully known by the one who calls you. And this is great assurance to me. This is the answer to that question, can I be known fully and loved fully? Peter experiences that. The disciple of Christ experiences that because Jesus calls you 
knowing the very worst about you. Jesus calls you knowing the most unforgivable thing about you. Jesus calls you, no matter what you have done, no matter how unmentionable it may be to you. And you know what? Even if that thing hasn't been committed yet, I know there's a, a lot of times where you wake up, but what have I done? I am a Christian. I know better. What have I done? I can't believe what I have done. Could I still be loved by God? Could I still be received by Jesus knowing that I did this? I looked at this. I transgressed this. Beloved, Peter is here in the scriptures to tell you even the worst thing you haven't done yet, Jesus knows it when he calls you and he welcomes you and he receives you. You are fully known by Jesus and fully loved. That is what we are told here. I know that there are some here who can't come to the gospel because you have in your mind, I have to get myself right with X, Y, and Z first. I have to fix this to make myself presentable and ready to go to Jesus. Baloney. He calls you now. He calls you in the depth of whatever you are in now. And he says, I love you. And I die for you. Here is what Paul calls it. Paul in, in, Gal in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says these words of, of, of his Savior Jesus. He says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know what that means? Paul was a, was a terrible sinner. He was a murderer. He had blood on his hands. He killed disciples of Jesus. And Jesus still calls him. And Paul says, he loved me and gave himself for me. He knew all of what I was. He knew I was the chief of sinners. But he loved me. And what is that word loved? It's in the past tense. What does it refer to? It refers to his death on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he knew everything about you. And at that moment, loved you. He knows us fully. As we said in the prayer of confession, I say these words to, to you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Beloved, now, there's nothing to do before coming to Jesus. There's nothing you need to do to make yourself right and presentable. It is now. It is come and see. And if tomorrow you blow it, and you say, how did I do that? How could I possibly have done that? Know this. There is forgiveness. 
And the next day, Jesus loves you fully, and he knows you fully. So come. And fourth, Jesus knows his disciples authoritatively. This is the best of the four. So Jesus looks at Simon and says, you are Simon, the son of John. And then he says, you shall be called Cephas, which means rock or Peter. He knows his disciples authoritatively. What that means is he doesn't leave us as he found us. Discipleship is a journey. It is a journey of of change. It is a journey of being sanctified, being conformed into the image of Christ, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That is what it means to be in a personal relationship with Jesus. There's a you will be in your story that is written and determined by Jesus. Jesus says to Simon, you will be called rock. And we can look at the story of Peter and we can wonder how in the world is that ever going to be true? But it becomes true. As we see, Peter will become more firm, more stable. He will become more immovable for the gospel. He will fulfill his role of being foundational to the church. Jesus says to his disciples, you will be. This is so comforting. It's it's future. It's a promise. Jesus declares Simon's end from the beginning. What does that word rest on? What does Jesus' words, you will be Cephas, rest on? Is it it a, a guess? No, it is is a word declared by Jesus by his authority. Jesus says to, to this man, you will be called rock. Jesus' word is determinative for Simon's life. It cannot fail. This word that you will be rock cannot fail. Why? Because it's God's word. And God's word cannot fail. And so when Jesus looks at Peter and declares his future in the present, he is letting Peter know what he will become. And when he fails and denies Jesus, the words, you will be Cephas, are still there. And they still will have their power. Now that's great for Peter. But beloved, this is written for us too. What Jesus says about you is the truest thing about you. What Jesus says you will be, you will be. There is no other messenger that can overturn what Jesus says of you in his word. And yet we will spend the next week allowing the pollution of worldly messages to tell us things that are supposedly true about us that are not scripture. 
the most true thing about us, the most true thing that the, the word of God says to every disciple is, 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 is an, here's an example, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's God's declaration. You are not defined by your sin. You are defined by the fact that you are in Christ, a new creation. And when you realize I am a new creation, the claim and allure and temptation of your sins is mortified. Because that's not what I am anymore. I am a new creation. What's more, Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Beloved, how do you know if this verse is to you? It says, if you have been called, which is to say, have you heard the Spirit say, believe in my Son, confess him as Lord and Savior, and if you have heard that message and you have said, yes, he is my Lord and Savior, and you believe it in your heart, you are being spoken of here. You have been called. You have been justified. And you are predestined to be glorified. Past tense. God writes it as if it is already done. You will be conformed to the image of his Son, just as Peter will become Peter by Jesus' word. You will be conformed to the image of his son. Why? Because God's word demands it. This is the personal relationship that we have with Jesus. He knows his disciples authoritatively. What he says of you is true. And what he says will happen to you will happen. Follow Jesus and be confident that he will finish in you what he started. Amen? So the relationship that we have with Jesus, he knows you savingly. If you have responded to the gospel, he knows you directly. He knows you fully. And he knows you authoritatively. That is the relationship that is provided to you who respond to the gospel in faith. Beloved, the gospel alone is the place where you can be fully known and fully loved. We all need that relationship. We all yearn for that relationship. I declare it is offered to you today. So let me leave you with two questions. Do you know him? Do you know him? Call upon him as Savior and Lord, and you will. And second, are you making him
Are you like Andrew? Do the people around you confront the fact that you have found the Messiah and you want them to know the Messiah too? Let us be people who saturate our relationships with the words, come and see. Amen? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.